0: when i left it was like 20,000 people so it went from like you know 500 to 20,000 in like wow. 3 years and um just like the scale at which they operated the pace at which they launched new cities and new products was very breathtaking and you know I- hey everyone
1: Today I talk with Amy Sun. She's the co-founder of Briefly.ai. And prior to that, she was the first growth partner at Sequoia, before which she worked at Microsoft, Facebook, and Uber. We talk all things working in tech, VC, and founding a startup, as well as lessons and tips for other founders out there. Enjoy. Amy, it's so great to have you here. I love to get started with each of our guests with Getting a fuller understanding of what growing up was like for them and what their formative experiences were. So, would you share with us?
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here with you Uh, after a pretty crazy uh, couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, um, so I am the child of immigrants. My parents immigrated to Boston. Uh, from China, you know, after the Cultural Revolution. I was born in the U.S. I am the only child. Yes. Uh, so take that, you know, what you may. And I grew up in the Boston area. Uh, when my parents moved to the U.S., they moved here with with pretty much nothing. Um, came here for grad school as the only one of the only avenues to get a visa out of communist China at the time. And uh, I grew up in the dorms of Northeastern uh, in, exactly. in Boston. You know, we actually had six people living in a one bedroom. And I was a baby wow. at the time. So my grandparents were able to come out of China after you know, the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, they were able to get refugee visas, to the U.S. Uh, my uncle also moved uh, to the U.S. after... Um, to for grad school as well in, in Boston and my parents and me and so we all shared a uh, we all shared a tiny uh, dorm for the first like years of my life but I was you know very surrounded by love and and it was also very motivating for me very formative uh, even though I don't have that many memories of of that time in particular the fact that my family like gave up everything for. Me to have a better life in the U.S. It just had a very deep impact uh, on me growing up, and a really deep sense of responsibility to like take every opportunity, like take nothing for granted, uh, and make sure that you know their sacrifices were worthwhile, <laughs> uh, and um, and also just a sense of optimism um, that you can make a better future for yourself and your children um, through the decisions that that you make that you know sometimes it does take like giving up everything that you've known uh your whole life um and going you know after your dreams basically so definitely very much the american dream of like my parents coming uh over to the u.s but uh it also instilled in me like a a great sense of Like optimism and opportunity.
1: Absolutely. So, we've talked about being an immigrant. I myself am an immigrant. And it's so crazy that you bring up that story because my parents, they met in grad school in Ukraine. And they also, it must be a thing about grad schools. They also lived in one room. And granted, it was just my dad, my mom, and my brother. Uh, And I remember these, I wasn't here, he's 12 years older than me, my brother is, but I remember their stories and like you, how you're describing the optimism, they always talk about how that was such a fun, fun time for them. Like when they had so little and they were raising my brother and trying to make sure they could create a better life for him. Sounds like a lot of what you're describing in your experience with your parents and what they transitioned on to you. How did that experience then lead to your like interest in tech? that
0: is um (laughs) Uh, so So how much time do we have I would say a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset right Um, it's like you you know like just just like you knew your parents knew that when they're all in that one bedroom apartment that it's temporary right it's not like you don't have you're not gonna this is not gonna be your life forever and that's the beauty of like the U.S. is like you can make the future that you want for yourself or you know Mm-hmm. To some Probably. degree, there are a lot of limitations as well, but uh, th- this like that you know you can affect change in the world, um, and I know that you know the U.S. is not perfect by any means. Economic mobility is not equal amongst everyone in the U.S. However, it is better than a lot of other places, especially mm-hmm. you know, communist regimes uh, in yeah. in uh, overseas. But uh, in terms of my interest in technology, like growing up technology was very much a part of my life my parents uh they were engineers so I was exposed to it from a young age even though they weren't necessarily software engineers they actually switched into being software engineers uh during the dot-com like sort of boom and bust so I you know even though I was a child I was like I remember like the heyday of like the dot-com, like how exciting that was. And then I do remember it all coming down as well. And like, you know, the layoffs and like the sort of subsequent fallout, but then the sort of rejuvenation of technology again um, with much more real products, real more real business models. And I just, I found it to be so exciting. I think it had a lot to do with when I um, went, Through college and grew up as well. It's like the iPhone came out in while my like first year of or like like senior year of high school, first year of college, like that year, and I just remember how exciting it was. Like you know, my friends camped out in front of the Apple Store (laughs) and like watching, like I I, yeah just like it just all of these new technologies were truly transforming. The way that I live my life as like a normal person, you know, and and I and I think I was especially impressionable like during those times, this was my high school and college experiences, and it just made me want to be a part of it. It was like that very exciting, like oh, like it's Silicon Valley, things are happening there, like it's transforming the way that we live. Like I was living in Seattle uh, when, mm-hmm. and I I grew up in Boston, did not have a car uh, when. I was in high school because our school didn't even have enough parking for the students. So like, you know, public transportation was how I got around with me and my friends when I was in high school. And uh, in college, we were also, you know, in Cambridge. So we didn't, the the cobblestone Mm -hmm. roads, there's also no parking for anyone. And so I didn't really get to drive um, growing up. And I remember moving out west. My first job after school was at Microsoft
1: Uh,
0: and I realize that it's actually very hard to like get around in a city like with seattle without a car you, taxis only go so far and uh the public transit system wasn't great and i just remember like when uber came out it like just fundamentally changed my own life from mm-hmm. such a like i all of a sudden i could like go places outside of downtown and like not have to worry about not getting a ride back like i didn't never have to worry about missing my flight which actually used to happen a lot because the taxis right. was like go up and i was like wow like these like this really it's very it's crazy how it's just yeah it's like internet and software but it can just impact have like such a big impact on how we live our day-to-day lives that it was an industry I would I was like very excited to be a part of
1: I totally feel everything you're saying. It's wild how much they're changing our world and what a time to be alive. And then right now we talk about ChatGPT and I know that your, your company right now is in the AI space. So, so much to talk about here. Uh, okay, so let me give folks some context. So you grew up in Boston, you went to Harvard and then like you said, you moved to the West Coast. You started out your career at Microsoft and then I also know that you worked as a PM at Facebook and then Uber, so did the tech route. And then you became the first female growth partner at Sequoia and were investing in startups. And today you are the co-founder of Briefly.ai, which you'll share more with us. You still invest, you're a mom, you live in Austin. So all of these things going on, but would love to get started briefly with just your experience in tech. So working at Microsoft, Facebook and Uber, and what you learned specifically with the lens of what it is, what it means to build something from scratch while you were in these larger organizations.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. having to give you the, the sort of <laughs> first version of uh, my my tech career. So, I yeah, I knew I wanted to get into technology, but I was not an engineer by trade. I did not uh, study computer science. Um, Microsoft had a wonderful program for, like, product marketing managers uh, and uh, did not require technical background was also very interested with what Microsoft was doing. I mean, their software was a part of my life for yeah. basically as long as I use computers, right? And um, yeah, I think that was also part of why I got into technology earlier. Uh, it's just, it all happened while I was growing up, right? We wow. went from, you know, using those like Apple green kind of computers to laptops (laughs) like MacBook Air when I was in college. that you can take with
1: you on the plane and even work on the plane with it. And then when we don't have internet on the plane, we get upset when it's like we're literally on these flying chairs doing work.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but I I do like I was talking to like I like it's no I'm not okay. I'm dating myself. So I don't think I'm that old, right? And, but I did use floppy disks when yeah, I was. Yes, me too. Me too. I yeah, used I used games. real floppy. disks. Yeah. it was really hard to get a paper that you wrote at home to school. If so you yeah. wanted to keep working on it at the school library, so yeah. So the times changed Amy. Very crazy. <laughs> um, so I we went, moved to Seattle. Um, worked on Microsoft uh, Windows, like the launch of the Surface tablets. Um. But I think I realized then I was like, wow, this is like a really big company, you know. And then yeah. I definitely felt the lure of like Silicon Valley and startups and like working on small teams and, you know, building something that grew really quickly. And uh, yeah, and Uber, I, as I mentioned, like it's just a product that personally changed my life so much. So I just dropped my resume to to Uber and like hope for the best. And like they did give me a call and uh, I ended up being one of the first uh, members of the like I guess one of the first growth marketers um, at the company it was a new team that was just being formed the growth team was like an extremely new team as well and for Uber uh, the problem well the the challenge was that they were launching peer-to-peer ride sharing for the first time so up until that point all ride sharing had just been black cars and uh, like licensed drivers like limousines and uh, like t- Lincoln Town Cars, if you remember those? And uh, they were, for the first time, like anyone could go on the platform and um, drive other people around. And they were, the challenge was like, how do we create this change in behavior? How do we convince people to- right.
1: To trust like, this random driver with your life.
0: I remember oh, that. Yeah, And to, to like stop doing what you're doing and turn, like instead of working at McDonald's, why don't you just drive strangers around in your car? Right. and you know that that was and that was like kind of the challenge post to the growth marketing team uh, and literally my first job at Uber was posting jobs on Craigslist I would like I would make like thousands of Craigslist posts across all these cities and like copy paste them uh, mm-hmm. and you know actually they worked for a driver so uh, then I ended up doing a lot of other things because the company was growing so quickly it was about 150 people in san francisco and probably 500 people globally at the time that i joined mm-hmm. and during those few years that i was there i was there for like three and a half years uh it scaled to being the sort of global like company that it is uh, yeah. i think now it's probably like when i left it was like 20,000 people so it went from like you know 500 to 20,000 in, in like wow. three years and um, just like the scale at which they operated, the pace at which they launched new cities and new products was very breathtaking. And you know, I think that's a memory, like that memory of working there and like the people that I met and the people, like the people who are still like my very good friends today or my teammates today. Uh-huh. Um, I'll remember like that experience forever as like an extremely like formative one uh, in my yeah. career, like an, a time where I learned probably. The most about startups and what it takes to scale a company.
1: I Um, have to ask, Amy, you bring up the breadth of scale that they were able to achieve in so little time. We talk about some of like going into a new market, into a new city and just starting to operate. And we know Uber had to deal with various governments, local governments, et cetera, things like that. But huge scale that they were able to accomplish definitely changed our lives. What things or like one to two things do you feel like were so important in achieving that at that stage while you were
0: there? I think one thing that is very different about Uber's business and like, say, Google's business is that every city has to be launched separately. And the fact that you're doing very well in one city doesn't really impact how well you will do in the next. So like that pace of like, of growth, Is not just like, oh, it's on the internet and it went viral and it's going, like, really well. It was, like, a very deliberate planned, like, execution game. Like, you have to go, like, every city has to be launched. Like, every, like, one has to be executing at 100% in that city. Like, you know, every city has different regulators. Every city has different, like dynamics with you know, like the drivers and the riders and like the different maps like there's like weird nuances like boston boston has this like huge underground tunnel that's like under the ocean it's under the boston harbor and that like ruins the gps so there's like yeah. all these like weird intricacies of every single city and that you don't really realize like oh like credit card penetration isn't great in south america or in like a lot of African countries, people don't use addresses the same way they use in mm-hmm. the US. The maps are all different. And so like all of, with all that in mind, I think just like empowering each individual, like individual team with all of the tools and metrics that they need, uh, but like holding them to like the same universal standard and like all, and like creating that system of incentives was something I think Uber did a phenomenal job at. And I don't really think I've seen replicated anywhere else where every like local team was basically operating like their own business, but they were held accountable. And there was a system of like incentives across the whole company such that everyone was able to operate independently, but like hold themselves to this higher standard at the same time. Cause I don't think it would have worked if they weren't empowered fully right if like the san francisco model was like copy pasted to all these other cities it just wouldn't have worked um so actually being able to be like you know what like local person who's you know not on the c-suite in the bay area like i fully trust you to own your own pnl and the pnl was kind of the way that they were held accountable right like can your city be profitable can you grow because like that's how they get more resources from hq so i think that that was like a really like different but important move that Uber made um, that and it, as a result there's I think there's like been so many amazing entrepreneurs that came out of the alumni network and I think that's part of it like so many individuals were empowered at that company to think about like their businesses from end to end you weren't just you know executing on a sliver of a feature, like you were owning a business
1: It makes me think about trusting your employees with more and allowing them to take on more will allow them to rise to the challenge. But I'm sure there's so much more to dig into there.
0: Yeah, it's a combination. It's like you give them the responsibility,
1: but you also hold them like
0: extremely accountable. And you are, and I think uh, Travis was like very, very good at that of like, if you aren't performing, you know, Mm -hmm. then it- you know, people know, he knows.
1: Yeah. yeah. I wanted to hear about what you learned there while you were there, but you I don't know if it makes sense to talk about your experience at Facebook first and then what you learned in tech in general.
0: Yeah. So Facebook was very different. I joined because I was very interested by uh, AR and that set of technology. So I uh, joined the stories team um, to build out that product. So it was still a still new product at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, being part of that team was also very fun. Like like a, a net new product within um, the family of apps at facebook that is all video and augmented reality and just like a new format also extremely different than working at uber and it also kind of made me realize you know for all the flaws that uber had like you know sort of from its rapid scale, it's like, yeah. you know, not every company has all the answers. Like every company does have its own fair share of problems. Like it's just really hard to operate at that uh, level of scale uh, and without any sort of right. like, large crazy challenges. But that was a very fun product to build. Um, and and also like it kind of was like it's, it was very different than the how like how to scale a product at Facebook. Was very different than than Uber. And it had mean Why was re- that? Like, was
1: it like structurally cuz I know Facebook used to have a more
0: flat org was that? It's the nature from of Uber's product. High load? Uh, I think it's very much the nature of the product. So with Facebook you can just be like I'm going to ship this product to like 50% <laughs> of users and it would go to a billion people, right? Versus <laughs> at Uber if you were like I have a feature and I want to roll it out I have to go and talk to all of these cities, like make Mm. sure that the driver operations managers like know about this new product, how to like that the the drivers are trained on it. Like you see and they know how to deal with it. It's just because every city is so localized. Every, the product is so operationally heavy. It's not like, Oh, you could just like ship this. And then like everyone will know exactly what to do. It has a very real like human impact in every single city. So like, like, shipping something very big, like, for example, like, Uber Pool, like, that, like, that product team had to go out to all these cities, like, train these people, like, really understand how, like, the kinds of problems that could arise, like, how to deal with, how to train drivers, how to talk to riders about it, like, there's just so much, like, complicated, um, human uh, sort of aspects of moving humans around into the world versus with Facebook, like you can just like make a video about how to use stories and then it'll appear in people's apps and then they'll either use it or they won't. And like, Oh, it's a new filter. It makes you look like a cat or something. And wow. it's, uh, it, it, I was like, Oh wow. It's the so- the scale of software is, is pretty amazing. And all of a right. sudden, you know, a billion people are, you know, you, you like, it's in their app, right? And, and all of a sudden, you can, you're like, "Oh, we have like a, you know, scaling yeah. from like scaling from a million to 100 million is much more just about like the quality of the software."
1: Right, and I imagine that potentially allows Facebook to iterate pretty quickly because they get such a huge sample size on any feature they want to test.
0: It is amazing, like what they built in terms of internal like A/B testing. Like I guess anyone can be having a. a extremely different version of the app at any given time because like every team has access to like all of these like it's cool. basically tests like oh maybe i'm in a one percent test for like this new feature and i'm in a like 10 percent test for this other feature and like every team and you can see the impact it has on everything else so yeah. they've done a really good job in terms of the testing infrastructure and and making like making sure that yeah. you can turn things off and on really easily
1: yeah so i'm hearing that you learned autonomy and creativity at uber in that like market go to market type of role and then at facebook definitely lots of testing iterating quickly what Mm -hmm. else what else would you say you learned
0: i was there for much uh a shorter amount of time um so i was there for only only a year but yeah like and then just you know the scale like the global scale of Facebook mm. it's like even great you know Uber had a lot of skill but like Facebook really like the number of users there and the retention between users is just extremely why yeah. um, Was there any difference in the culture of the companies? Well there was and I, I left Uber at a time where uh, it was like a very turbulent time in terms of the mm. culture right it was you know the there was a lot happening in 2017 that okay. led to a lot of executive departures including okay. Travis and like the, like so sort of Issues with the board and, and everything like that, and you know honestly, having also worked at Facebook and Microsoft, um, I think Uber was like unfairly targeted. Um, for like it it wasn't as bad as it. And I I will speak to my own experiences, right, and not uh-huh. everyone else's experiences, but it like the culture was intense, but it wasn't like negligent, and it wasn't like sort of orders of magnitude different than any other tech company I would say even yeah as and I've seen a lot of tech companies now (laughs) and so uh, yeah but I would say the culture because Uber had a very operationally heavy business I think that and it also has very thin margins compared to like a software company like Facebook which you know has a lot of social media market share um, like they can afford to have know more well
1: things are changing now
0: but they Um, could afford to have a lot more um you know teams working on similar things or like a lot of products that didn't that you know a lot of experimentation with things that didn't necessarily end up like making into the product or even if it did make it into the product like it was kind of an oh like a nice to have feature which is for uber i think the margins were much more important um and especially you know now that they're a public company, just like very, like optimizing things like pretty ruthlessly.
1: Yeah. And again, like to your point, sometimes things get unfairly judged or unfairly scrutinized like with a super detailed lens. I think it's tough in any situation when someone is scaling a company or a team is scaling a company so quickly. There's only so much you know, like you're constantly evolving and growing and sometimes mistakes do happen. Not to say any of the sexist or offensive or hostile things, not to pardon those, but I think folks are learning too as they grow and there are nuances that I definitely am not aware of in that Mm -hmm. situation. Okay. Would love to talk about your experience in VC, which is completely different. What led you to explore VC and investing in startups and how was your time? What was your experience like?
0: So it was a bit of a accident, I would say, (laughs) that I ended up in venture capital. I love. Working in product, um, so I career-wise, I started off in product marketing. I switched into product management uh, while I was at Uber. Uh, was also product management at uh, Facebook, and I really loved that job. Like I, I loved like working with designers and engineers and other product teams. Like try, like talking to customers, like trying to figure out what we should be building, and like helping the team actually get it to market and and seeing its success and i thought that that was like the path that i was going to take for my entire career i knew i did want to be a founder at one point um and i was like oh product management very makes a lot of sense uh as a pathway uh to that and venture capital kind of like i I didn't even know what like venture capitalists really did. Um, I would say like for the most of my career, uh, and but I was approached by someone um who worked at Sequoia, and they were looking for an investor that had product and growth uh, experience, which to join the growth stage investing team. Um, so I started talking to them, and I like I honestly did not know why I was talking to them. I thought that they wanted me to like advise their portfolio, yeah, companies do or something. something. Um, and they were like, "No, we're 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 looking for an investor for our team." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've never really, <laughs> you know what I mean, I have a Robinhood account. i felt like, yeah, and I didn't really have any money at the time, right?" And um, yeah, so I started talking to them. And, uh, like, I honestly, I'm still surprised. I like, ended up getting a job on the growth stage uh, investing team. And then I dove right in and I was like so in the deep end. I like had really, like, I don't think I had as, a very deep understanding of exactly how it worked when I joined um, the team. But it was such a good learning experience, I would say. Like, yeah, just, I just. Diving right in and just starting to talk to like all of these companies, like meeting the most amazing founders, learning about industries I knew nothing about, but like had to become an expert in in, in, in like a week. Um, and so it was like very very interesting. The, the fire hose, but um, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was uh, so was, yeah, made some investments while I was there, and like the team there was also very great. Um. Uh, and it was yeah it was a very interesting uh experience but it kind of like it is very far removed from building things and mm-hmm. like building and uh, technology and then i do think i i i really missed that yeah. aspect because uh, i would say like investing is a combination between like a sales job and a like investment, like like yeah, like a like a hedge fund job. Like it's like it's very mm-hmm. similar. To, like it's much more similar to those functions than it is to like actually being Hell a founder. Down. And and I missed it. Like I miss like you know being on a team, like figuring out what kind of product to build, and like yeah. creating designs, and like jamming, and, and getting something into the hands of customers, and like measuring how it it does, and like uh, and and I think that, but I do think that the just be like understanding venture capital and like having been in that seat like really did help me like understand like what kind of company I wanted to build and and it just exposed me to so many different types of startups Mm. uh, and so many different types of founders.
1: Yeah. And they say try everything at least once and you tried it and learned that, you know, this isn't what you want to be doing long term. But
0: you definitely had your lessons while you were there. Yeah, I think just being exposed to the whole the wide variety array of uh, founders and uh, companies was like very inspiring for me personally. Like it was, it was like, wow, those are the, that's like who I want to be like. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be like, oh, the founders that really took a shot and took a risk and uh, did something really, really hard. and you know, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. um and and I think one thing that's like a common misconception about startups from the seat of venture capital or just from the seat of the bystander who's like interested in technology but not you know building a company for themselves is that the story goes something like oh well, the, you have this person and they have like a a deep problem and it just sits with them and and they build you know they then they have this moment of clarity and they're like aha uh-huh, like that is the product, and then they go off and build it, and and it works, and they're off to the races. Um, I I realize now after I talked to a lot of founders from the founder side of the table instead of the VC side of the table that that's not really how it works at all, and that a lot of founders just like try a whole bunch of things, and like the experimentation, like the scientific method, is like what is like the important thing to finding success more so than like this sort of like personal problem plus like headstrong like need to uh to like see that one thing succeed um and like a lot of the products that are very successful now like are the results of the like rapid iteration more I so know. than uh like this moment this like aha moment um uh, and that's something that I didn't learn until after until I actually started uh the company um and Yeah. And so briefly, like we use uh, AI to create like meeting summaries, follow ups. We automatically write your follow up emails for you based on the transcript and the summary. So you can save a lot of time. And I spent a lot of time taking notes (laughs) as an investor. I would take notes like during the meetings and then, you know, you have to follow up afterwards. right? So there's a lot of like, like, who did I meet that week? And like, oh, like what? like there's it's just hours of like what are the takeaways how do
1: you make this personal to them
0: exactly and like how do i remember all the key things that were said during the meeting and um consultants all the
1: consultants that are listening can relate to this as
0: well yes basically and like what can how can we make this as easy for you as possible and just like with the click of a button like automate all your follow-ups and have a record of everything that you've done um in that meeting and, and all the key insights that were said, like grouped by topics. So it's like very easy for you to read. So that's where we're building it briefly. Um, and I could say that like, Oh, this is because like, I personally have like the most pain with note-taking. Well, it was true. I have, but it's also, we also tried a whole bunch of things. And, wow. uh, I love this. Ask this part yeah. of your story. You guys pivoted yeah we did and you know and i'm not you know ashamed and i think i'm very glad that we had the experiences building the other products like grateful for all the customers that you know gave us a shot but Mm -hmm. ultimately like i think you have to make a decision about like what kind of a bit like is this a business or not and i think by building a company like i think you can only really learn this by like actually trying and like building a company it's not about like you can kind of get caught up in what a startup is but in the end of the day like you need to build a business like you're building a business like it has to like generate more cash than you're spending and like it's very easy to get caught up in like stuff that you think a tech company is but you're like oh like we need to have like these are all the things that we need to have like this is what our leadership team looks like. And this is mm-hmm. what, you know, our brand is. And this is what, you know, our all of these things, like all the things that you're like, oh, these are the things that I think make up a company. But at the core of it, you just need to like build a product that people are willing to pay for. And yeah. it has to be, they have to be willing to pay for it more than like you spend like building it and selling it. And it's like, if you don't have that, then, what do you have? I <laughs> like um, what, what is this collection of people working on a project? you know it, it like becomes like a project and not like a real company uh, and so I think learning that was i I think it's very easy for first time founders to get caught up in kind of the idea of what a not startup not. is um but to like and and somehow that like takes them a little bit away from like the sort of dire need to like build a business that produces cash flows or revenues.
1: These are great points you're making. Mm -hmm. I think founders all need to take a really hard look in the mirror to your point of are you creating a product or a service that people need and need enough that they want to pay for or are using. And there's this great book, The Mom Test, about how to go about doing customer interviews. And most people are very nice to you and are saying all these lovely things. Oh, yeah, I would use it. But will they actually pay for it? And when it comes down to it, do they actually need your product? It's super important to get to the bottom of. And then the other point that you made of, like needing to pivot, and so many found like absolutely not something to be ashamed of. It mean like changing your mind is smart. they are like Adam Grant has a book about it. go read go read his book, How to change your mind uh, and Albert Einstein's quote, right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. and I would say pivoting is kind of the extension of what we described. like really going after who are your customers? do they need this? What else would they need, and how do you uh, tailor your product offering to serve them best maybe it's a different way in which you're you're serving them that makes it easier for them or maybe you're providing so many added features that they didn't have before but needed but just figuring out that pivot i'd love to talk about your pivot so i and it is a it's a tough decision to make to say to look at yourself in the mirror and say you know what this isn't working. We're going to change. I know lots of folks also struggle with needing to tell investors. But again, hopefully if you have great investors and you have open communication, you can bring them along with you on the journey. Or maybe that's not the best decision for your team, et cetera. But just for founders, I know so many founders are going through it and it's it's a normal thing to go through. would love to hear your story of how you handled your
0: pivot and any lessons or tips for folks. Yes. And so we started off the company building a video coaching platform uh, And right. this was sort of in the height of the pandemic <laughs> as well yeah. and so the sort of thesis was that uh, a lot of like these in-person like coaching businesses would move online and that uh the best way to do that at scale uh, is like you could actually provide personal coaching at scale for the coaches um, if you had it be had it an asynchronous coaching platform. So the way that it worked was we built this like video platform where you could send videos of yourself to the coach and the coach could like add voiceovers and annotations on top of the videos to like give you feedback on how you're doing. So you could actually watch a video of yourself alongside this expert feedback and that's like how you would get better. And, um, and yeah, you know, I love the product. Like it was like a, like a, a great video product, like I myself got better at a lot of things that I was working on, including like my squats and my headbands, <laughs> like to the platform, um, but ultimately like it like was very hard for us to make unit economics work, especially, you know, as things returned in person, we just saw like the demand shift away from digital, um, like way back to in person and all of a sudden like customer acquisition like became very difficult and it was like all of a sudden we had to pay for customers but we our take rate was not that high and so like the economics of the business like all of a sudden became like it just didn't make sense Mm -hmm. and i learned a lot from that and i I would say we did a lot of things wrong. like we built way too much before we actually launched the product and we And I think I had this, like, fear of, like, rejection or, like, fear that it wouldn't work out. And so, like, we ended up, like, sort of building it in stealth for too long versus, but yeah, the thing I learned from that is, like, that is only, like, sort of delaying the thing that you need to learn. Like, you need to learn, like, as a startup with, like, limited runway, you have to learn as quickly as you can. And by not getting your idea out there for validation, then you're just not learning as quickly. Because, of course, everyone, like the mom test, like everyone that you talk to is going to tell your idea is good. Because they don't want to hurt your feelings and tell you your idea is bad. It's like you wouldn't tell someone their baby is <laughs> like me. And like, well, yeah. like you need, but like when you ask people to pay and they don't pay, then that's the truth, right? That's like the real And you need to get to the truth as quickly as possible. So, like, one thing that we're doing differently now is we're, like, shipping products before they're built, rather than the opposite. That rather than, like, building for a while and then releasing it, because then you get the real, like, because building a product is easier than selling a product. And if you can figure out a product that you can sell, then that's the harder thing, right? And Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the, I think that validating that you can sell the product before you commit all this time and money to actually building it and figuring out what to build is the better strategy.
1: Totally. And what I'm hearing too in that, and it's something I think we all feel is fear of failure. But what we need to do is reframe this relationship of, you know what, I may ship this product. You know what, maybe it's not ready. Maybe I'll be a little embarrassed, but I'm going to learn something. It's an opportunity for growth and just really getting in, in developing a close relationship with failure and seeing it in a positive light as opposed to a light of, ah, oh, this might hurt me, et cetera. And all entrepreneurs, it's a work in progress. So it's a very normal feeling. And I don't think anyone is born not afraid of that feeling. So it's a very normal thing.
0: Yeah. And it's like something I think is, that it's almost like conditioned uh, into uh, a lot of people, including myself, to be yeah. like, a little bit afraid of failure. It's like, But it doesn't but the, yeah, like, you know, the adage, like, you miss all the shots that you don't yeah. take. Right? Yeah. Like, prolonging it will do nothing for you. Yeah. Like, you might as well learn quickly, then learn slowly. Yeah.
1: And it's also our body's protection of us, our bodies It's our mind's way of trying to prevent us from dying, which is where <laughs> this all came from. So, again, it's very normal. Like, I feel it, you feel it, this and that person, it's a very normal feeling. Yeah, like, back in the day, be-
0: it was like, oh, should I go and attack this buffalo?
1: You know, right.
0: And now it's just shipping it's like your product. Software. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not gonna be <laughs> the end of the world. Like it's yeah. just software. Yeah. That's right. something I remember what well, like my first boss actually at Microsoft told me. I guess I was like super stressed about something. I like literally don't remember what it was. But I was like very stressed about something, and she was like, We're just selling software. Like it's <laughs> you know it's yes it's not it's not like someone's life it's all life. I know you talked to Sinan earlier like literally people's yeah. like he was people's lives were in his hands right and mm-hmm. it's like that's not us. like we're just selling software and it's it's different for different products like I think the stakes were higher with Uber because you're moving humans through space right like you were right. like oh like these people right like there are our lives that are dependent on our software mm-hmm. um and sometimes uh sometimes there aren't right and it's like yeah, yeah it's,
1: Totally. Maintaining a healthy perspective. Yes. Amy, another topic I'd love to chat with you about is the ruthless prioritization that's necessary as a founder. And then on top of that, you have the amazing perspective as a mom founder. And I'm sure this is also a work in progress. Nobody's born out of the womb knowing exactly how to ruthlessly prioritize. And it's a journey for each of
0: us. So, love your perspective of what you've learned yes uh i mean so as your resources are very limited um at a startup it's not like a company like facebook where you have like sort of unlimited time and unlimited resources to like figure things out like you have a very limited amount of money a limited amount of people and so you basically can test one thing at a time um and just like figuring out what to test what like what is the least that you can do in order to like get information about this topic is something that is like very yeah it it just it it is a forcing function and i actually think that starting out with less money is better Mm -hmm. right because you're like i it's more of a forcing function for you to test like the most important thing that is like the key driver of your business of like whether or not you even have a business right um so I think that is one key difference like working at a startup than working at a tech company. And I think that's also why a lot of tech companies are like large tech companies will like, have like, you know, internal incubation for mm-hmm. startups. or like, oh, we're building a startup within a big company. And a lot of times that doesn't work because there's too much time. There's too much money. There's too many resources. Like you need that like desperation yeah. for it to work.
1: Um, is the mother of invention. Heck yeah. And it's, it's the reason why some of the most transformative companies came out of economic crises like Airbnb
0: and Uber, et cetera. Yeah. And actually, if you think about the non-software internet inventions that changed like our country, like a lot of it came from war, right? Yeah. Like after World War II, like that was a huge, like, technology boom right because it's like so necessary to innovate right it's like a life or death situation and like a lot of the sort of physical technologies that we have in aerospace or you know all of these like in things that we take for granted now like it those even in medicine right like came from like very difficult times um, and also the motherhood you mentioned, yeah. I'm like, yeah, is also a forcing function because all of a sudden you have like no time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I like, don't oh. even know how you do it. Can you help me wrap my head around day days not like it. me?
0: <laughs> it, it's a lot of delegation, a lot of being very tired, and like thinking that you can't do it. But then also just realizing that yeah. a lot of People have kids, like mm-hmm. the majority of people have kids. And like, if you want to support female founders, you have to support founders who are mothers because most women are going to go through this at some point in our life. And I think it also made me realize like what I was willing to sacrifice for my career and what I'm not willing to sacrifice. Right. It's like if like what is at what expense. Right. It's like I'm like I'm not willing to give up
1: mm-hmm. like
0: my family um yeah. and like this like I, like I love my son so much like more than like anything yeah. and uh and like yeah, of course i'm not willing to give that up for like more yeah. money you're like and no it's so evident wins. in your
1: smile and the twinkle in your <laughs> eye right now as you're talking anyone's yeah. not watching it on youtube
0: yeah. and other people have made it work um so yeah. shout out to a, a mom founder group I'm in the, I found this mom found a group called BC back moms and it was yes. like, yeah, it's a, a lot of women are going through this. I think at first I thought, I was like, this is going to be impossible. Like the, there's no way that these two things like are compatible in any way, but a lot of, a lot of women are doing it and, um, and it is possible. And I think a lot of it is like, okay, can we pave the way, can we change the narrative so that? it's not something that like women feel discouraged by. And and I've heard this a lot, you know, as I'm trying to hire, I heard a lot of people say like, Oh, I don't want to join a startup or I don't want to start a company because mm. I want more stability because I want to start a family. And I'm like, Oh, like in people's minds, these two things are just not compatible, but that's not true. Like it is possible. It is very hard, but it, you know, it's possible. And yeah. wow. And like, yeah, if, if our parents could live in a one bedroom apartment and like, hustle through that, mm-hmm. like, then I can start a company and have a baby. Like, he lives it better. Like, he, he has more, he has more, like, <laughs> he has more, he, more he has more space, <laughs> you know, like, it is like, it, it's actually like people have made it work for generations and we can yeah. make it work now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so much too of what I'm hearing in terms of how you're managing is, I heard delegation, which is, it's mm-hmm. easier said than done. I know so many startup founders who struggle with this, is feeling like their startup is their baby and they want to do everything themselves. But this is a huge, huge tip, folks. It's really important to delegate and bring your team along with you. So curious, any tips for delegation for folks? And then I heard time. And I imagine just given your prioritization of your family and your kids, you probably are so much more efficient and effective in how you spend your time, than most folks I know. In my experience, at least the moms are they It's like an hour is like five hours of time they get so much done no, yeah.
0: in a <laughs> time. So tell, yeah, tell yeah, us free about Free time that. is precious. Um, I, yeah, I definitely think that. Yeah, you realize that how precious, like quote unquote, free time is, uh, or just your time in general. And in terms of delegation, I mean, my belief is that. You know, as a startup founder, there's like actually a very small number of things that you do that will have that will really matter and have an impact on the trajectory of your business. If you could spend your time thinking about those things, and they're usually the big decisions on the direction of the product, how you go to market and all the other tasks that you fill up during your day. Mm-hmm. Do you need to do those yourself? You know, does it like are you even the best person to do that task at your yeah. team? You know, like, oh, there's just so many, like, pieces of busy work. And I actually believe that a lot of that will be automated in time with AI. Maybe yeah. in a shorter amount of time uh, than we think. Yeah. But, like, what are the most important things for you to do as a founder? I know it's different for every business, but it's, like, yeah, the decision on what direction the team is going in and how we get there. Um, the decision on of how you go to market. Maybe a lot of large customer sales are dependent on the founder. your relationships but like everything else like do you really need to be in there like prioritizing tickets like do you need to be you know filling? there's just like a lot of things that like someone else on your team could may probably be able to do better than you Uh and you know that's okay it's okay to let go of those things um and and I do think like a lot of times like as the founder you think that you have to do it, but you don't, you know, and and, and just you try and then see. Like, if sometimes you can delegate and it doesn't work out, and you're like, oh, actually, I, I have to do this. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of things you can um, trust other people, and and totally. they end up doing a good job, and you can even outsource it. You know, you can outsource it, and like I know a lot of founders that outsource their inboxes or their calendars or yeah. you know everything in between. Yeah, um, and. You know they're just lots of resources yeah.
1: Absolutely. It makes me think of better done than perfect and sometimes when we push things off and off and off and off, maybe you just take them off your to-do list in general and like you're prioritizing the things that actually are moving the needle. Amy, this has been amazing. I want to get you out of here soon, but I would love to have us wrap up with. Given all we discussed, you're building briefly, you're a mom, you're investing, BC Moms, shout out. And we'll link briefly in the comments for folks to check out. What's important to you these days? I feel like you're great at strategy and prioritization. So I'm so curious about your thoughts on this one.
0: So I've been thinking a lot about this and what is important <laughs> to me these days. I think, I guess, for the business that we are. Yeah, adding as much value to our customers as we can but for me uh a priority for me personally is to like yeah. spend a little bit of time for myself Yeah. because I in the past year I have not spent pretty much any time for myself between the baby and the company nice. so that's like a priority for me right now like finding some like time just to I don't know just to think about things and to Remember the things that I really enjoy outside of, mommy and work, um, and yeah. You know, giving a, yeah, like giving myself a little bit of a break because it's been a bit crazy. Um, I guess yeah. by the time the podcast airs, it will be a different time. But uh, <laughs> you the last couple of weeks have been pretty intense as a founder with all the totally. banking drama and with all, and we were also uh, doing South by Southwest at the same time.
1: Yeah, so, we were
0: a lot of it's been a lot and so so sometimes like taking a little bit of time to do things for myself uh yeah
1: is important that's so helpful right it's like um, as much about the recovery as in the work that we put in and like just getting time to be a more balanced version of yourself allows you to bring so much more back to your son and your work and even your teammates. You're just a more whole, full version of yourself. I hope you get to find the time, to rejig things around to be able to spend more time with Amy.
0: Thank you. I hope so too. I'll keep you posted.
1: Amazing. All right, Amy, this was lovely. We'll catch you next time.
0: Awesome. Have a great one.
1: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.